once upon a Christmas time. And in fact, every Christmas time for the last 46 years, in a small town not too far from a big city, the annual Christmas pageant was being presented by the children of the local church. For 46 years, Esther Johnson had directed the pageant. She was the superintendent of the Sunday school, and she had been since the last superintendent retired, probably about 46 years before that. And as I said, for 46 years, the pageant remained unchanged, except for the cast. The cast had gotten smaller and smaller as the years went by. That's because Esther was a bit of a perfectionist. She loved simplicity. She figured that the fewer the children involved in the pageant, the fewer the things that could go wrong. So over time, she had whittled the cast down to nine characters, leaving many of the children of the church without a part to play in the drama. Now, another thing about Esther, Esther was a bit of a traditionalist. This meant that she preferred and always used the King James Version of the Bible, especially to tell the story of Jesus' birth as it was recorded in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. And just before we attend to that scripture, let us pray together. Dear God, help us to hear the old story with new ears and help us to ponder the, its meaning for our lives and then to do something about that truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here is the story as told in Luke 2, verses 1 to 7. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. All went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. He went to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, that was the version of scripture they had always used in the pageant. And Esther saw no reason at all to change it now. But this particular year, several of the young mothers began to question some of her decisions. They felt that more children, more than the chosen nine, should be allowed to participate. In fact, they thought that all the children of the church should be involved in it. Esther disagreed sharply. Now, she was one of those my way or the highway sort of persons, 
And she, when she insisted on her own way, some of the mothers staged a rebellion and took over the pageant. But with the change in leadership came, as you guessed it, less than perfect results. More sheep meant more problems with crowd control. And more angels meant that more halos and wings were colliding. Now the perceived imperfections reached a climax when Mary and Joseph entered the sanctuary. Mary, she was so perfect. She was sweet and wonderful, serene even. She gently held the baby doll in the blue blanket and peered into the face of the doll with eyes filled with such devotion you would swear she was actually looking at the baby Jesus. Joseph. Joseph was another story. He was a character. A Joseph was given the part mainly because Esther Johnson had rejected him from the pageant more often than any other kid in the Sunday school. There was probably a good reason, but that's immaterial here. Now the plan, as they had rehearsed it, was for Mary and Joseph to walk down the center aisle of the sanctuary as the narrator read from the traditional text. And Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. That was the plan. And that was what the narrator and the cast members had rehearsed for months. But then, a few hours before the performance, one of the new directors noticed that the children really struggled with the King James English. And as the young mothers discussed the problem, they said, what kid knows what great with child means? So in their revolutionary enthusiasm, they decided to switch to the Good News translation of the Bible. After all, they reasoned, it would make the story more understandable for everyone. So that night, the big night arrived. And during the performance, when Mary and Joseph entered the sanctuary, the narrator read from the new script. Joseph went with Mary, who was promised in marriage to him. She was pregnant. Well, that word pregnant seemed to just hang in the air and reverberate through the public address system. And little Joseph stopped dead in his tracks, and he turned to Mary, and he looked around at all the people gathered, and he said, Pregnant? What do you mean you're pregnant? While the congregation roared, and the preacher's wife laughed so hard she cried. And as she wiped the tears from her eyes, she leaned over to her neighbor and whispered, well, that play may not be perfect, but I'll bet that's exactly what Joseph did say to Mary. And yet, and yet once that initial shock had worn off, Jesus, Joseph took that leap of faith 
and followed God's command to take Mary as his wife and raise the Son of God. But neither one of them knew just what they had agreed to in saying yes to God. I was called to be the minister of a medium-sized church on the outskirts of Toronto back in November of 1998. Back in the early 90s, this church, it was called St. Luke's Presbyterian, and it was in Oshawa, it had been the fastest-growing congregation in Canada. However, by the time I came on the scene, and I really had nothing to do with this, it was a struggling church that had a couple of disastrous ministries. Each conflict that the congregation had gone through resulted in the loss of at least half of their membership. And then the people that remained, this remnant, they were very suspicious. They were wary, not quite sure if they could trust another minister after the disillusionment they had experienced with the last two. But I have to say in their favor that they were cautiously optimistic that things might improve once again and they could go back to the good old glory days. Well, by late winter, early March, the church pews began to fill up again. And when I offered a Lenten Bible study, 18 men and women showed up. Now, before I go on, I need to say a little word about some of the differences that we might experience between Canadians and Americans. Some of these things you're probably very well aware of. You know, we measure distance in kilometers, not miles, and our kilometer is just a little over half a mile. Our temperatures are measured in Celsius, not Fahrenheit, and that conversion is a little more confusing. So I don't even try to change them. I just think C is for Canada and cold. F is for warmer. I, don't, I can't figure an F word, but it's for Florida. F is for Florida, cold is for Canada. And at the moment, our dollar is worth about 30 or 35 cents less than an American dollar. And December the 26th, it may be the day after Christmas to you, but it will always be Boxing Day to us. So now it's not just distances and temperature and dollars that need to be converted. There's also a difference in comparing church size. A medium-sized church in Canada would likely be a small church down here, and a large one in Canada would correspondingly be a medium size down here. And as for megachurches, we might have one or two, but they're very, very rare. So keeping all of that in mind, when I tell you that 18 men and women showed up for the Lenten Bible study, that translates or converts into about 50 people down here. Let me tell you, it was a big deal. The next Sunday, after worship, one of the women in the congregation stopped me by the back door as I was leaving to go home, and she said, you know what, Helen? If things keep on growing like this, we're probably going to need an addition. Well, I jokingly answered that heading up a building committee was one of my two worst nightmares. And she promptly said, well, what's your other one? You guessed it. 
having a baby. And of the two, I'd rather be pregnant. So why are those your two worst nightmares, you might ask? Well, first let's talk about church construction. Any construction, whether it's an addition or a renovation, whatever you want to call it, whenever you add that to an already active, busy, thriving ministry, that means adding extra meetings, it means the mess and the inconvenience of construction, it means adding stress, and it means adding the very real possibility of congregational conflict. So you add that to an already jam-packed schedule, and that's why it's worst nightmare number one. And as far as the second nightmare, being pregnant, well, let me just remind you that all of this took place over 20 years ago, when even at that time, I was already past my best before date for having another baby. And we had just barely survived raising three kids, and the nest was almost empty. So nightmare number two. So I wasn't joking when I said those are my two worst nightmares. But I've come to realize that often we speak truths in those little unguarded moments of our day. And after much reflection, I've come to the conclusion that back then, I did speak my truth and God's truth in that ordinary response to the lady asking me about giving birth to new life and building a bigger church. And the truth remains, I would rather be pregnant. And at my age, you might call me Elizabeth or even Sarah from the Old Testament who got pregnant when she was 75. But I think when you consider these old ladies and other examples of what God does in our lives, you would have to agree with me that God can and does plant seeds of new life in some of the most barren and unpredictable places. So with that in mind, I'd like to make a special announcement to you this morning. And Sully's hearing it for the first time, so if he does something silly with the, with the slides, just let it pass. I want you to know I'm pregnant. And I hope that you are pregnant too. For God has come to each one of us as God sent the angel to Mary and has said, don't be afraid, for you will conceive and bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. How can this be? Well, that's probably the question that rests on so many of our hearts. When, whether we see ourselves as a young Mary, fertile and full of possibility, or a Pastor Prime Elizabeth, or an unlikely character like Joseph, or just any ordinary Joe Blow that goes about his or her life. How can it be? How can it be that God has found favor with us? How can it be that we could actually produce new life? How could it be that God could come into this world and save it? How can it be that God can come into this church and use it? How can it be that God can come to you and to me 
and make such a difference in our lives and then use our lives to birth new life in others. When Mary asked, how can it be? The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and the child to be born will be holy, the Son of God, for nothing is impossible with God. Well, the answer to our individual version of Mary's question is pretty much the same. God's power will come upon us. It will hover over us and enter into us and conceive in us and work through us that which we might think to be impossible. Mary responded in faith and trust. She said yes to God. If you were in her shoes, and in a sense we all are in Mary's shoes, how would you respond? Now, though Mary had many questions and matters to ponder in her heart, she was fully prepared to accept that nothing is impossible with God, that God was with her, that God wanted to bless her and through her to bless others. And we're not talking about simply blessing others by being just a little bit more loving, saying a few more thank yous, or of doing a few more kind deeds when the Spirit moves us. And we're not just talking about some of the things that any ordinarily good person could choose to do at any time, like donate to a worthy cause or help out at a shelter once in a while. We're talking about something bigger and better. We're talking about actually letting loose on the world the power of Almighty God. We're talking about actually letting ourselves be an instrument in making God's promises of healing and wholeness, of peace and grace, of salvation and redemption of the whole world come true. One heart transplant at a time. Mary didn't have much going for her. She lacked all the credentials that most of us might think necessary for anyone being able to make such an impact upon the world's history. She had everything going against her. She had her age, her gender, her lack of experience. She had no status in society, no power in politics. But what she had in her favor is something each one of us has in our favor. And that is the very Spirit of God dwelling within us. God Emmanuel. God with us. And with us always. Through Christ, the child of Mary and the Holy Spirit, each one of us has been chosen to do mighty works. To give birth to grace and love in our lives. And the deeper question for us is, do we have the other thing that Mary had in her favor? Do we have her willingness to be the servant of the Lord? Do we have her willingness to open ourselves up to let the Holy Spirit in and have free reign in our lives? Do we have her faith to believe in the impossible and the incredible wonders that God could do if we just let him.
So often we're all too aware of our inadequacies and limitations. But we need to be more aware that God sees beyond all of that to the wonderful possibilities that can happen when we put our trust in him. It is God who is the creative force working through Mary that fulfills the promise of Christ's birth. It is the life of God incarnate, God in our flesh, that is conceived and nurtured in each one of us when we say yes to God. When we become willing servants, we become part of a larger-than-life hope for all of God's people. It is the hope that we heard about in Mary's song of praise. It is the hope that sees God lifting up the lowly and filling the hungry with good things. It is the hope that sees mercy and justice and peace and goodwill saturating, permeating this whole earth. Now the story of Mary's choice isn't a story of something that happened a long time ago. It's a story about you and me and about our letting God in to touch us so that the Christ child begins to stir in our bellies. There's no doubt about it. We have been chosen to be the bearers of new life, to be the entry point for God's love to come into the world. And now it's up to you and me to respond according to the grace and the faith given to us. For in the end, that's what Christmas is all about. It's about being pregnant with God's love. Now to God be the glory, now and forevermore. Amen.